Welcome to Portugal, Matt. Welcome to Lisbon. Welcome to the wannabe entrepreneur mansion. <laughs> it's not a mansion. It's not a mansion for, for the people. It's uh, 80, 80 square meters, I think. But yeah, it's great to have you here. It's so cool. Yeah. Thanks, Welcome. man. Thanks so much. I love your place. This is Lisbon's amazing. Yeah. Like, man, I can't believe it took me so long to get here. I, I do know that uh, Canadians are always very nice. So it's no, really like everyone I met, like it's it's like it's really hard to say something that you don't like. You'll be like, yeah, I love this. So I'm not sure if I'll take this. Uh, <laughs> are you really being honest or just being nice? Oh, I love this place. Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> so today we will have a crossover in the podcast, Indie Hacking Podcasts. Matt is the, well, is the Indie Hacker. And together with Mark LG is the host of uh, Startup to Something. I keep That's on it. saying something to startup. <laughs> uh, you got it. Isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't it more, make more sense? Something to start up. Well, it's like start up to something. Like, what are you getting up? What are you, what are you, you're getting up to something. Right. Ah, oh, you're starting up to something. All yeah. right. I thought it was like, let's get something into a startup. That's, a, oh, that's kind of always sure. my reasoning. I was sure. like, yeah, it's something. Okay. Start up to something. Yeah. Which is like, it's a really cool podcast because it's like the same format that as the wannabe entrepreneur, but you have uh, like a partner to speak to, yeah, which is so cool because you have these dynamics. And, and Mark, uh, that I also interviewed in the podcast, he is uh, like, uh, he's living the dream, right? Like he found the project, he's yeah. making enough MRR to like be so relaxed and yeah. everything. And every time I listen to you, it's like, yeah, he's me. Like he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's like having the the same doubts and uncertainties and everything. So today will be just you know. Chatting and, and doing our own version of uh, startup to something, yeah. But this time, two equal indie hackers <laughs> that have still not made it and like are struggling and doing our thing. But the thing, I love it. Perfect. Yeah, we have some beer. We have some pastel nata. I think it will be a great conversation. Shall we start by introducing? Our, let's like introduce ourselves while eating pastel nata. I'm down. <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> so. Um, pastel nata, for the people that don't know, go ahead. Oh my man, thank you. It's like uh, my favorite dessert, and it's probably the most known here in Portugal. And you can get pastel nata anywhere, but there are particular like, speci speciality stores. And this one is a quite known one. They have like multiple stores across uh, Lisbon, I guess the country as well. Sure. Um, and this one is called Manteigaria. Manteigaria. Well, we're not sponsored to, to, <laughs> to say the name. We don't have to say the name. Yeah. That's fine. So um, let's, uh, let's try it out. Mm. I hope that the crunchiness was like caught by the mic. It was so cool. Mm. Oh man. What do you think? I mean, it's worth coming to Portugal for. It's so, <laughs> so good. They're so simple, but they're so delicious. They are not easy to make, actually. Mm. Like, um, yeah, I tried to make this multiple times when living in Germany, but like, it's, it's you cannot do it with a normal oven. It needs to be like much warmer. Okay. Mm hmm. It's like, you need to be super, it's like a pizza, pizza oven, where it's like, you put it in and in like five minutes, take it out. You need to be really, really hot. Um, but yeah, I mean, these ones are good. Mm. I read once about the origin of pastel de nata. Mm. Okay. That, uh, I guess like the religious figures at the time used to starch their clothes using egg whites. 
So they would order all these eggs and they would have their clothes starched, but all the yolks were left over. People were like, well, what do we do with the yolks? And that was the birth of they had to figure really? out a way to use them, and that's what it, what turned into pesto de nata. I didn't know that. I, I don't know if it's true. Hey, I just read it, but so we're about to introduce ourselves. Yeah. All right. You want to take the lead? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm a developer by trade. Uh, I've been in the field for 12 years, or something like that. Um, I worked in wall street and then so you know I, i'm originally from canada I'm, I'm from montreal um i started my career there i worked on wall street and then uh, a bunch of silicon valley companies with canadian founders wanted cheaper talent so they started opening near shore offices in montreal so i worked for a bunch of silicon valley companies and in about 2019 uh i kind of looked at my life and thought i've I love what I've done. I love all my experience, but I really want to try something out for myself. Mm. I got interested in the indie hacker community. I met a bunch of people and I decided to go out on my own. So I went part-time at my job, um, which was an awesome, uh, awesome opportunity that my boss gave me at the time. So when I originally went independent, it was around this very specific um, research and development program in Canada. Uh, the Canadian government will rebate a lot of your uh, a lot of your salary spend on that you spend on R and D projects, and the idea is for companies that are operating in Canada, this is very very lucrative. Mm. So uh, I had gone through this process a few times with a few different consultants, and I always felt like it was a crappy process. Uh, I was always talking with a tax consultant, not with an engineer. So we would have teams of engineers that are. That that have that that have consultants asking us dumb questions that we have to like figure out how to fit our work into a box. So I thought, why are we not talking with engineers? Why are engineers not going through this process? Yeah. So I decided to be that change. So I went to the market and decided to become. So the program is called the Scientific Research and Experimental Development Program. We abbreviated to Shred. Uh, and so I became a Shred consultant and. It worked. <laughs> it, it worked really well, actually. Uh, engineer, I could. I figured out how to start approaching companies, and engineering companies want to talk to me because they want to talk scientifically. They want to talk about the work that they're doing. Right. So uh, I was able to penetrate the market. I mm. the business was growing. It was doing really well, and I was looking at making my first hire. And then I started to go through this audit process. So every now and then. You get, uh, the government will decide to audit you, and uh, the audit pro process is hard. <laughs> it sucks. And it, it killed my soul. Um, it was so bad that uh, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. So I, I fired all my clients and I shut the company down because I just couldn't handle that process of scrutiny by a third party. Because like I, I knew the work that I did was good mm -hmm. and I knew the work that my clients were doing was good. And to have somebody come in and poke needless holes who oftentimes don't understand uh, the, the work that's being done, they kind of assign you a scientific auditor, but they could come from any walk of life, any background. So they didn't understand what we were doing. And mm -hmm. At the end of the day, my client's money was on the line. Right. If they get their budget slashed or their reimbursement slashed, it, it made me feel really bad. So I said, I don't want to, I don't want this to be my life. Yeah. So I shut it all down. It does look a little bit like a boring job. Oh, isn't yeah, it? Like, sure. just... Well, 
Yeah. For an engineer that worked at Wall Street and yeah. a bunch of Silicon Valley companies, then you get there and they're like, yeah, make sure to take a picture of the whiteboard. Is it like, were you passionate about that? Like, minus the other thing, would you, would you like, if that wasn't the issue, would you have uh, continued? Yeah, I would have. Um, it is, it's less about, like, that paperwork aspect is, is only a small part. Um, the really fun part is talking with other developers. Hey, what are you working on? What'd you work on last month? Like, oh, tell me about that. Tell me about that technology. Why did you pick that? Why not do it this other way? Yeah. Did you think about this? And then learning about the interesting constraints yeah. that are actually, that, that are under the surface. And then it's about taking those constraints and mining them for the real R&D that's happening. So talking with devs is awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. So that was the part that I got a lot of enjoyment out of. So then you, you yeah, the other thing kind of, uh, was a deal breaker for you, and what did you do next? So uh, I fired all of my clients, <laughs> and I'll say it now: if there's any Canadians that are listening to this that are interested in that, go do what I did and start that company because every single every single one of my clients were upset. They were like, "We love working with you, and you solve a real problem for us, and we're so yeah. sad to see you go." It so. seems that like there's also a need for someone to fix the auditing problem for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you it's, need someone that like someone to be in between the government and, and your company somehow. Yeah. I mean that's a that's a very tricky problem because it's so multifaceted. Like you're dealing with a professional, you know, somebody um <clears throat> the auditors they hire come from different substance different substantive areas. So they are bringing their eye to your R&D process. Okay. So you, you know, we're building software, but that you could be given an environmental engineer mm -hmm. and that person is looking for the scientific method yeah. and they might not understand the ins and outs of what we're doing. Yeah. So it's how can we take what we've done and make it really clear to that person where the R&D was. And it's really hard because again, like just like we talked about to have an engineer be like, well, I, there was, it didn't work. I wrote some code and now it worked. To have the to have a, somebody say, well, "Explain the scientific method of that to me," is grueling because you're they, you know, they don't know what to say. They they're just saying, "I wrote some code and it worked," but right. really they were engaged in a process and they need coaching and they need help. That's why it's so stressful to go yeah. through those things. So after that, what what did you do when you were like fire off all of your clients? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I uh, so I let go all of my clients, <laughs> and I was deciding what I was going to do next. And one of my associates, who was a, he was a shred consultant like me, um, he, uh, I, I had gone to him for some help on a few things. And he said, uh, you know, if you're looking for freelance work, because he knew I was technical, he said, um, I, I'm a crypto trader. Um, so I have written a bunch of models and I'm looking to backtest all these models. Mm -hmm. right, if you're looking for freelance work, I'd love, you know, I'd love to work with you. So I said, well, I'm not making any money right now. I'll take on some freelance work. Why not? So that was my first foray into, into crypto. So I, I come from Wall Street. I'm, I was familiar with a lot of what he was doing. So I wrote a back tester for him. So uh, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, it was a lot of pulling data, cleaning data, learning how to run things in a huge parallel environment, how to iterate and hone in on different patterns and strategies. And yeah, I, I worked with him for probably six months, um, pretty much full time. And then, uh, Mark and I started the podcast and it's kind of just been a lot of freelancing since then. So I finished up with the, with the crypto trader. Uh, and then I was brought on, uh, by a friend, uh, he was looking for help. Uh, he was building an NFT game. 
So uh, I did, you know, getting more into crypto. I did a bunch of smart contract development, a bunch of application development, and I'm still working with him today. I've been freelancing, you know, what is supposed to be part time. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm so involved in the project doing I'm supposed to do 20 hours a week or that's kind of what we originally discussed. Yeah. But it's never 20. It's always 30 hours or more. Okay. Um, it's a very small crew and there's a lot of work to do. And I feel a lot of ownership over this project. So I so it's yeah. somehow an, an entrepreneurial project for you as well, right? Because you have you have kind of built it almost from from the start. Yeah, I mean this this is kind of a, a pattern for me, and I'd love to know if you have this same problem. But it's the issue of boundaries. Mm. Like when you have work that you're being called to do, uh, or you know yeah. you've made an agreement with someone and they they need your help so that they can make money. Yeah, and then you have your own project on the side. And you say, well, I'm going to split it 50-50 or 60-40. Are you able to do that? I, I'm. Ugh. Well, I guess I, we can get into a little bit uh, my background because that yeah. will somehow explain uh, that. So um, similar to you, I, I'm like a software developer and worked for uh, Trivago. Uh, I don't know if you know this company. Oh, I know that company, yeah. of course, yeah. It's, it's a cool company because they did so much marketing that like everyone knows. Yeah. It. So it's great for my resume. So works for Trivago. <laughs> Seriously, like, there's a lot of people that left Trivago for a long time and they still have like ex Trivago in their LinkedIn profile, which I find hilarious. So yeah, ex Trivago then worked for a startup. Uh, in so I was living in Düsseldorf, Germany. Work in a startup, also in the traveling industry. This startup gets acquired by Trivago, oh. so I go back to Trivago, and then I, I've been like an entrepreneur all my life. Like it's really, if now I, when I think about it, on like my uh, childhood, not childhood, like I guess preteens even years, I like there's a lot of people that say, like, yeah, I always knew that I want to be a doctor. I always knew I want to yeah. be whatever, and I didn't know what I want to be. But if I think really into like my first memories like with my friends and everything i remember like selling um uh bookmarks to my <laughs> to my uh friends back in school uh to the point where the teachers like hey you cannot make money out of this like oh, okay you know you so, are like we're boss. drawing and everything <laughs> and they're like selling so yeah it's definitely something that it's somehow in my blood like and then when i started working in these companies After a while, I'll be always trying to like start my own thing in the in, inside the company, right? Okay. So I started a bunch of things uh, in Trivago, and it's like really cool for me, really cool, interesting projects. Like my famous one was called Image Inspiration, and that's what, how I call it. But the idea was like you see a picture, you click on it, and then we find destinations all around the world where you can find similar landscapes oh so like okay. we use like machine learning and everything and i like it, it was even um on the website for for a little bit but like trivago was so focused on the main metric uh to make money which like clicks um that there was no space for innovation so in the startup when i worked in the startup it was completely different like you have the ownership as you're saying like yeah. yeah it's amazing you really feel that you if it wasn't for you this company wouldn't exist would die or like you really make a difference a, a huge impact so I thought, like, this is great. I love this. But still, after a while, it's like, it's not mine. You know, I, now I realized what is the problem. I, I didn't back then. I'm like, but why do I still sometimes feel like I don't want to do this anymore? Why do I st sometimes feel that I want to quit? Right? And you see this, a lot of people doing this. Like, a lot of people in our area, like, they quit after one, one year or, like, two years. Like, we don't understand why. Uh, well, for me, it's obvious. It was like, I need to do something that is my own. Um, so when Trivago, like, acquired this company... 
I I decided to um I decided to okay let's leave and let's focus now 100% in my own project. Uh, also because I knew that I couldn't do something else. Some people told me like yeah you can do maybe half half. I couldn't do that. Like as you said like I will I would get too much focus on the job that I have to do. I feel that I I I need to deliver that's that people are paying me for it so i would definitely work more than that and i need just the mental space to focus only in my own projects um so i started doing that i i started with an app uh which was it's like in the sustainability area at the same time i started the podcast and the rest is kind of history because like the podcast kind of opened up this whole community of indie makers that had no idea it existed right So I started like going on Twitter, meeting people, interviewing people, then I created a community because of the podcast. Initially the community was just a way to somehow get some perks to the people that supported the podcast. Yeah. Then I realized, wow, this is super valuable. Like people are really, you know, chatting with each other. It's so much fun here that maybe this is the value. So I never thought that was even possible to make money out of a community that people actually pay for it. Sure. Um and then then that that has been my main source of income i i've started a bunch of things as well and tried a bunch of things small projects that mostly didn't work uh and the the business of the community has been very slowly growing so it's it's really frustrated because i'm at the moment at the 550 mrr uh which is still obviously not enough to live you know i'm kind of paying my rent and that's it uh, my my share of the rent and that's it so yeah that's i've been kind of exploring this this new project and trying to see if i can come up with the way to make this community better and to acquire my cl- more clients and recently i've been focusing on uh, maybe trying to get a job or a side Now I want my indie making projects to be my main job and then I want to find a side job and right. now the side job is is the real job let's say. Um yeah and that's 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 basically me that's where I'm at at the moment. Okay. So let's talk about side jobs. How do you see that? Is that is that something you want to do a certain number of hours per week or do you kind of want to say I want to work 3 weeks on 3 weeks off or you know something? Ideally Ideally I would just do maybe two days, three days a week. Okay. And then the rest would be for my projects. Yeah. Not because and and the reason is because I have a business, right? Like I have the community. So I I couldn't just like shut down the community for three or four four weeks. That wouldn't work. Yeah. Otherwise this would be a possibility like I have a short-term project of one month, focus, get some money and then go back to indie making. That that would be nice. The thing is like now I have I have the community like I have my business going on that I have to maintain. So, yeah, ideally I would like something uh, that would give me some space during the week totally to yeah, to focus on the yeah. the community. I think too something that's important to point out of what you just said is that when you you have momentum, the community has momentum. So, just, you know, comparing it with the situation I find myself in my situation is work on a thing that has momentum that you're being paid for and you add a bunch of value and respected for blah 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 and throw a bunch of work into the void <laughs> that has no momentum or anything yeah. like that but you have something that's pulling you pulling you towards something right. yeah. which is really it, i think that's a game changer mm-hmm.
because it keeps your, just like you, you said earlier, like keeping that focus, yeah. like how do you create that mental space? And it's like, this thing demands it. Yeah. So it, yeah. it takes it by, by force. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But um, at the same time, and I, I've even had this conversation with, with Mark, I, I always have the feeling like what, the question is when to stop a project, mm-hmm. right? So when a project makes no money or has no users mm-hmm. after, after a few months of trying to get them, that's obvious. Okay, you need to stop it. There's, there's, you, just, you are just simply not solving a problem. Right. Um, but what if you have something like I have, which is like, yeah, some people are really happy with it mm-hmm. and there's money, but it's not enough. And I've interviewed a lot of people, and including Mark, and including um, I don't know Peter Levels, um, Julian recently, or their growth. And, and now they are like all I don't know about Mark, but like I assume like maybe hundred k ARR or something at, at least. And Peter Levels making much more, and um, the growth was much much faster. Right. You know, like it's nothing compared to what's happening in the community. The growth was like. 1k in the first month with like a shitty product and then 10k in the third month i don't know something like this yeah, yeah. and i don't have this with the community so sometimes i think maybe it's it's a curse to have something that is somehow working but not enough to pay the bills totally. you know I mean? oh absolutely yeah i mean this is something that i um after the the consulting that i was doing i feel like i got a little bit of that catching that lightning in a bottle like i would cold email people and I was getting responses and they were like, I want to, let's have let's, let's set up a call. Like, I don't even have to ask of just like, Oh, Hey, this is what I do. And I want to know how you handle this. And they're like, I want to know how you handle this. I want to have a call with you. So like to feel the market pulling you is like, it's a real thing. Um, I haven't had that experience yet, but part of me, you know, remembers that, that, that feeling of like, oh wow, I think I might have something yeah. here. So I that was it, happening with the shred company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's all about trying to find that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would love to hear your opinion on this because when I started this podcast, I wanted to find the recipe for success. I don't know. I I was convinced that there was a set of rules or set of like steps that by following them you'd always find success or avoid failure Mm -hmm. you know so that's why i like interviewed a lot of people and there are a few things that i understood at least in the indie making world that make a dent which the first one is having an audience right it's like it was completely it's completely different right so uh, when you have an audience it's much much easier to validate that idea to get initial momentum and everything so that's definitely uh, something that is it's really important. And and then is solving a problem with real demand in a market that is willing to pay for it. And this is not easy. No. Like, <laughs> we are pulled towards the things that we love. I'm pulled towards indie making and, and pulled towards like B2C, which normally these uh, people like they don't like to pay. You know, indie makers and they're cheap, they don't have money. Yeah. Right? Uh, so like I see a lot of people making tons of money with no code, for instance, mm-hmm. because there's so many people now that they have no other option. Like they don't know how to code. Mm-hmm. So if they want to build something, they need to pay. They, so it's already in their idea. It's okay. I'll just pay whatever, 10, 30, 40 bucks for it to have this tool so that it can enable my business. Yep. Is there something that you have discovered 
with your talks with Mark and with the, your interviews that it's kind of a game changer? I think so. I am, I'm really jealous of Mark because he's very good at, I mean, like, you know, for numerous reasons, there are numerous reasons. Uh, Mark, Mark is just such a kind soul and really wants to help and teach. Yeah. And I, I think it's just who he is. So for him, it, it almost feels like he gets this high off of parachuting into a community mm -hmm. and just like listening, really listening and helping people. Yeah. And I look at that and I think that's the recipe for success. Like just being as helpful as possible. Because I think maybe that maybe that kind of is a is an interesting way to look at what a community is. Yeah. How can I help people like me? How can we get together and help yeah. each other? Of just like, yeah, I mean, there, there's strength in numbers and having somebody understand you in a way that, that maybe you don't even know. It's, it's a great point. It's a great point because the first thing you do when you start your indie making projects, once you have it done, like you want to spam it everywhere. Like you want all <laughs> the attention. Like yeah. you're like, yeah. hey, look at me. I yeah. have this, right? Yeah. And uh, that's wrong. That's something that I guess a lot of people make this mistake. But what you should do is like really understand the, the community you are in, yeah. understand your users, bring value to them, help them. It's all about them. And then once you gain their trust, maybe they will look at you. Yeah. But you need to gain the trust first, right? Yeah. So yeah, definitely listening and being excited about a community yeah. is something that is extremely important. Totally. Because it's, it's funny, actually. I actually disagree with you about the audience. Mm -hmm. I hate building an audience. Really? I, I really, it's, it's a precursor for me for any business I want to start. I don't want it to be based on my audience. I want to go to where people, like, I don't want people to necessarily come to me. Mm -hmm. Like, Peter Lowell is a very interesting person because I wonder who follows him. Do they, like, are his followers for hot takes? Are they for his general ethos? Because I follow him for the hot takes. I mean, I'm not, I've only just become a digital nomad, but um, I have a, I don't necessarily use nomad list mm -hmm. um, or interior AI. Um, but I don't want to, I, I don't want any business I start for the precursor to be, okay, so first of all, go out and like get a bunch of Twitter followers. Yeah. I would much prefer to figure out where the, where users are and what the correct or, you know, what the distribution methods are to reach them. Mm -hmm. It's possible that like maybe one, per, uh, one follows the other. Like I spend enough time in a subreddit that people find me and follow me on Twitter. That's fine. Yeah. But it just, it, it makes it to me, it just makes starting a business feel impossible. It's like, all right, first thing I got to go out and build a Twitter audience, for yeah, example. Yeah. And I know, I, I know that that's way oversimplifying things. Like, you know, there's a, uh, Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman run 30 by 500. I'm a, I'm a, I bought that course and learning about like, how do you drop into a watering hole and to write blog posts and set up an email captures so that people want to hear from you because you're giving them you're they're on fire and you're putting them out you're the only you're the only yeah. bucket of water to put out their pain yeah of course if you have if you have such a if you find such a problem to solve then uh then i don't think you need an audience right because everyone is looking for it right i see that happening a lot uh with no code right like with uh, notion forms for instance mm -hmm. with uh, uh julia he basically created forms for Notion, something that didn't exist, but everyone needed. Yeah. So it was the moment he started, everyone was like, I need it. Like, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And 
if if I could find that problem, I would I would love that. The issue is like I don't think it's that easy, at least for me, to find this kind of uh, problems to solve. Yeah. And when you have an audience, this allows you to uh, take something and you're immediately ahead of your competition because you already have people that trust you. Mm. And then when you're launching, let's say you're launching on Product Hunt, for instance, that's a great example because before I have an audience, I launched the community. You know how many upvotes I got? I got six. Six upvotes. I, to be honest, I didn't know anything about Product Hunt. So it's like I launched it at any hour yeah. and waited and nothing happened. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. Sure. But then, after having an audience and realizing how Product Hunt properly works, I launched it and I got like, I think, top five product of the day, like 300 upvotes, sure. a bunch of reviews, just by like having these people that trust me and they're like, yeah, Tiago, I'll help you out. Yeah. So this immediately gave me a boost and like, then took me to the next level. Same when I want to validate. Of course, this needs to be an audience and I need to be creating something for them, right? It right. doesn't matter having like an indie hackers audience and then, I don't know, building uh, something about gardening, right? Like right. most of the people don't care. But it, if, you, if you know that that's your area and if you want to focus on that, yeah. at least from everyone that I interviewed, uh, and it's funny, like for instance, Mark, right? Like he's doing this project of like starting uh, an idea without this audience, like he didn't even share. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it seems that I was I was just listening to the episode. It it said like it, it probably will fail. Mm. I bet if I don't know what is the idea, but if it's somehow related to no code or indie hacking mm. with this audience, I think it, the success. And now it would be really interesting to see if if you would like share the idea if it would actually. Uh, have a different impact. Yeah, you know what I mean. That is such a good experiment to run because I, I guess that's it. I you said it. You said it perfectly. I guess for me, when I think about building an audience, I think about. Um, I I don't I don't necessarily know what's going to work. So if you're but if you pick a group of people to service and you dedicate yourself to that group, then having a following makes perfect sense. And like Mark, Mark is a great example of yeah. this. Uh, working in the no-code space and cultivating other no-coders and then being dedicated to it and continuing to launch other things for no-coders. That is a, that's a flywheel. That's for sure great. Um, I'm just afraid of, I guess my problem is that I'm so afraid of committing to one area or servicing one group of people um, because I have no momentum that uh, trying to build a Twitter audience feels like an unnecessary precursor of like, maybe I need rather than it's, it's like, it's too early to build trust yeah. when you don't even know who you're going to help. Yeah. yeah. It but, helps yeah. when you already have a project for sure. Like yeah. you want to build something again around the gardening mm -hmm. and then you start discovering where people that are into that hang out and everything, but you're already building something. So that gives you the motivation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think in general, it really, it really, and, ends up helping but i understand what you mean like just building on but there's a few people like tomorrow actually i'm, I'm interviewing uh no not tomorrow friday uh simon uh simon heuberg the guy yeah. from uh feed hive yes yeah and uh i'm doing a little bit of research and he that's basically what he did is like okay first i'll build an audience yeah. and he built it and like he reached i think 30k followers on twitter wow. and then he launched a product 
that in the market is very saturated, right? Like there was buffer, there was a lot of schedulers, and then he comes like, "Hey, I'll build feed hive." So it definitely helped him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. And in the indie hacking world, where you don't have money to spend on ads, because a lot of startups, what they do is like most of the budget. Hey, why, why do you need five million? Did for developers R and D? No, it's marketing. Like I'll put all the ads possible. Um, but for indie hackers, you don't have that money to spend, right? So you either nail it into like that niche and you, the perfect product, people are really looking for it. If you don't have that, mm. I think it's going to be really hard to mm. grow. Yeah, I mean, we have to understand what, we have to get the edges that we can get. Because mm. yeah, we certainly, we, we can't compete monetarily. We have to compete on a, we have to run a race that we have a chance of yeah, winning. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, go, going back a little bit to the, um, to the job, uh, we said it. We had a few topics to discuss, and this one is something that I think uh, it's really interesting. So at the moment, I'm trying to find this compromise. Like trying, I, I I don't want to. I don't want to find a side job. Yeah. But I have to, right? Like, it's been too long. My I'm burning my savings. I want to have. I want to reach the end of the month with more money than I started, kind yeah. of thing. You know. So I'm trying to, like, I've never worked freelance. I've never done any of that. So I'm trying to see what are the possibilities, right? So here's what's going on in my mind. First, maybe I, I thought that I could just do, like, small scripts and bots for other people running communities. Um, because, I mean, I run communities. I, I build bots. I know the experience. I know the area. So there's so many people are running communities. I could just do that. And I have some cool ideas for bots, and they really work in my community. So I've like emailed a bunch of, or emailed and like tried to reach out to a bunch of people with communities, um, like basically offering my services. Right. And uh, I got almost no answers. Mm-hmm. And the ones that did say like, okay, we're not looking for uh, for that. Like we don't need your service at the moment. Um, the second thing is the idea of a fractional CTO. Okay. Which is very exciting. It's something that I hear a lot of indie hackers speaking about. Yeah. And it seems such a cool title and such a cool thing. Like, I'm a fractional CTO. I just, like, help people hire and blah, blah. And I know that you also have some experience helping people, like, companies with hiring process and everything. Yeah. Um, so I had today uh, a meeting with with a startup. They are, like, just really, really starting. A, like, most of the, all of them have, like, side jobs. Okay. But they were able to, like, come up with some money. I don't know how. And uh, they want to build this CRM. And um, they are trying to see, like, either they would just give this to... Oh, my God. I just have it. (laughs) I I will give this to a company, like a consultancy company, an agency. They will build this for us. But they want to have someone that is somehow part of the team that is, like, keeping an eye into the code, making sure that everything works fine. And um, at first, they wanted a full-time CTO. I kind of convinced them they don't, they don't need it, or at least that I wouldn't do it as a full-time. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, let's talk. Uh, and uh, today, we had our first meeting. And in the end, they were, like, making a bunch of fair questions, and I had no idea how to answer. First of all, like, how long will you stay with us? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, you build this. After, like, six months, will you stay? Will you help? Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to hire yourself, the people? Or are we going to hire and then you manage them? You know, um, what, what? How long do you want to work per 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 week as well? And uh, how much money would you ask for? You know. Right. So those are a bunch of questions that I have no idea how to answer. Okay. 
So maybe a good place to start with is what do you want? So like you, you're taking a job because you have to make money. When I got started with freelancing, I mean, rate is the, it for me is one of the biggest questions because I, I knew I had, was capable of working full time. Um, so I said, I can give you this many hours a week, but then it's like, well, how much do I charge? So for me, it was just triangulation of, I talked to a bunch of different people. I saw a bunch of different rates. I kind of put them in an average and I took the average. Mm -hmm. And every time I get a new client now, I just increase it by five to $10 per hour. I charge in Canadian dollars. So I just increase it by five to $10 per hour and no one has pushed back on me yet. Okay. So I guess like working backwards from what you want of like, okay, so how much, um, how much money would I, do I want per month or what's my, you know, what's your goal? Like maybe you want to save 50,000 euro, uh, so that you can go back full time on your work. So maybe it's like, all right, well, how, depending on my rate, how long is that going to take me? And then you can kind of figure it out from there. And then from there, you can kind of start to start to set expectations with your clients of like, okay, well, how much money do they have and how much can they afford to pay you over how much time? Mm -hmm. Because maybe they think they want someone full time right now, but that's going to burn their runway a lot faster than if you, if you extend it out, Maybe you'll be able to be with them for longer and give them more more consistent support over time versus a big burst of energy. Right. Now, how would you do it? So the thing is, like, they already told me how much money they have. Okay. They already told me that's our run rate. And then, and then I think, okay, it's can we spend it all? Like, what, what is the situation, right? Uh, so do I decide my paycheck? Um, how would you prefer doing it? So would you say, okay, I will take care of everything? Uh, I'll get a team, you know, I'll, I'll hire, start a hiring process mm-hmm. and, and manage and maybe also do a little bit of coding mm-hmm. or would you just like prefer to say like you select a bunch of candidates to help in the hiring process mm-hmm. and I help like just doing an overview on what they are doing, but I don't do any codes. I just, you know, keep an eye on things. Yeah. Uh, I, my opinion here is about, um, transparency into the work that's getting done because the problem is if they're not technical or they've never worked with a technical team before they probably don't understand what do i get for two weeks of a full-time programmer how and and like you will you've you've built some a schema out but like i don't i don't really understand can i use that like can you demo that for me so like helping them to understand where the project is at and what their pace is, I think right. is probably really important. I'm just, you know, I'm spitballing, yeah, but yeah, yeah. if I were non-technical and I gave a big pot of money to a technical person and they promised me the world, I would say, great. I would like weekly updates on how the world is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I never thought of it. Like they, they have no idea about the tech, you know, area and everything. So they need someone that's what they're hiring, basically someone that translates this to them and assures them that things are getting done. Like they don't really care if I code or not. They just care that, okay, we need this done by, by this deadline. Right. And like they're, they're paying you for an outcome is the best way to think about this. Like we're used to billing by the hour, but the reality is like they're paying you for an outcome. And if it's just you coding, then you can start to set an expectation of how long until this is done. Mm-hmm. But if you start, if you have enough money to start hiring people and to bring more on uh, and to be able to take on more work, they're going to get a better sense of, oh, when we add more, when we add more staff, this is what the result is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, at least for me and all the work that I do, 
I'm always racing towards something demoable so that you can always attach the work that you're doing to the demo that you're do that you're giving. So, oh, I'm, I'm building a new screen. I'm building a new this. Um, and this is how it changes what you already have. Mm -hmm. So it's always a playback to this is what you bought this week. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily like a healthy pattern to be in because <laughs> sometimes it's not that clear. But um, my clients are always very happy when you show them something, especially when they're non-technical because it looks like magic. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because when when I am as an indie maker, I I don't have to like satisfy satisfy anyone. Like I I take all the consequences. I take all the risk. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that of course there's a lot of uh, bad things uh, about that. Right. A lot of stress, anxiety. Oh yeah. But but in this case, I also feel a little bit stressed out because I've never done this before. Sure. And these people are trusting their money. You know, money that I don't know how they got it. You know, maybe they asked around, whatever, mm. on this. And like, what if I'm not able to deliver? Mm. You know, it's not, now it's not only me, right? If I'm not able to deliver my project at the Indie Lottery, the community, okay, fuck it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's my fault. I have the risks. I control everything. Mm. In this case, I know it stresses me out just to think about, man, I need to hire people. I need to like, get this done and what if like i don't like them or what if they 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 start uh they just keep on asking for more things you know like managing a client and it's yeah it's a different kind of a challenge i would say i totally agree but i'm willing to bet that you've actually done this in your career like you had a boss or a project manager or a product manager who said, where is this? Can we have it by the end of the quarter? Yeah. And you're saying, well, let's take a look at the plan and let's see, is there something we can cut? Can we get us closer to the goal? Is Can we decrease complexity? Is there something we can do? Like, is that something you've done before in your career? Sure. Yeah. This it's is no some, different. Yeah, yeah. It's no a different. good point. Yeah. There's this imposter syndrome immediately coming up. You know, I, I, Part of me will think, I'm, I mean, you'll you'll make a shitty job. You'll make you mm -hmm. won't be able to, because uh, like I, I I love coding. I, I absolutely love coding, mm -hmm. but mostly as well because it's a way of creating, yeah. right? So I've I've worked like I, I moved full infrastructures to like AWS. Like uh, I had companies depending on me on yeah. this, right? So it's not that I've never done this, but I always have this feeling that. I don't care too much about using the latest, most performant library or whatever. I just want to make something that works. And yeah. I've seen, especially in this startup I work, like I've seen that when when you just outsource your code to someone else, sometimes it's completely shit. Like, yeah. and I've seen it. So I guess I'm also a little bit afraid of of delivering that, mm -hmm. of delivering like a really shitty code. So and I shouldn't <laughs> say this. Because I really hope they don't listen to this. Well, no, like it's, this is a very interesting thing because I actually, I've had a very similar experience here. So when I was building the back tester for my client, he really wanted, so he was not technical and he really was like, no, Python is where it's at. We got, we got to do this in Python. Now I'm a Java programmer. So I said, okay, well, you know, if you want to do this in Python, I might not be the person that you want to hire because I have to skill up. I, I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. I, I didn't say that, but I basically was like, you know, I'm going to have to familiarize myself with the technology. And in my mind, it's like, it's going to be slow and it's going to be shit. <laughs> so, so I'm like, you know, you got to learn. 
So one thing, if I could do it differently, I don't know if I would go back and write it in Java, but when I think about risk, I think, man, I could de-risk this so much by picking my best language with the best framework, with the best ability to uh, to assess people. Like say you, were, you wanted to hire somebody, who else I'm going to be able to interview and tell if someone is a good Java programmer so easily. Mm-hmm. So it just de-risks everything. Like we often think, you know, oh, I want to pick the right tool for the right job, but maybe the right tool is the thing you know best that de-risks the project. Good point. Yeah. Also, I know that no matter what I do, there'll be a programmer down the line. They'll be like, what the fuck is this shit code? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> they will be like, why did I use this? This is terrible. This is oh always, always happen, right? Oh my God. This keeps me up at night of just like, I can't, like that client is going to give this code over to somebody and he's going to yeah. say, this is bullshit. I hate yeah. this guy is an idiot. And I'm like, oh God, like, yeah. oh man. <laughs> Whatever that, that will happen, yeah. It doesn't. Well, I mean, the nice thing is if you give yourself over to it and you know that it will happen, then it doesn't matter what you do. The outcome is is given regardless. So all yeah. you could do is your best. Definitely, definitely. What other topics you want to talk about? You yeah. have some uh, a list there. Yeah, yeah, I got a few things. So uh, something that I'm curious about is co working. So I've had such amazing. Uh, co-working opportunities in the last let's call it year um i started uh before i left montreal i'm a digital nomad now i've been since uh since june june of this year uh i started an indie hackers meetup yeah. in, it's really cool and you say, uh, by the way <laughs> and by the way it's it's a lot of fun my wife it's my wife and i and yeah. we're we're just we're on the road um but Uh, I've had amazing co-working opportunities. So before I left Montreal, I started an indie hackers meetup and I co that's how I met Mark LG, my co-host. Um, and yeah, I met a bunch of people and I've co-worked with a lot of them. And now in, uh, in, I've been living in Victoria, um, British Columbia and, uh, the co-working station I'm at is amazing. Like we're throwing work back and forth. We've really created an yeah. awesome place. What's your uh, what's your experience been like with co-working? Like, what, what is your daily setup? Are you working at home? Are you co-working? What's up? My daily setup is here um, in the desk where I guess people cannot see it. But uh, I basically wake up and, and work uh, from here. I, I've tried co-working as well. Um, I've, I'm trying to like keep it as cheap as possible, so that's why mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't do it more often. Sure. I I'm an extrovert, right? so I. I I get energy by speaking with people. Yeah. So the fact that I'm here alone, uh, it, like the whole day, right? Mostly, like it doesn't help. Like the community really started helping, but because now I have people to talk. Yeah. And a lot of indie makers as well, and like we have a lot of chats. Even today, I, there's people in the community. that's like, hey, let's have a chat about the the fractional CTO thing. So that really helps. I I first tried doing co as a co working space really nearby here. So I thought, okay, let's let's go there and check it out. And my experience wasn't great because I got there and most of the people there were startups. So like small startups, because I guess that's how a lot of the co-work spaces make money here. They, they rent a part of their office to a company. Yeah, for uh, a Exactly, terms. yeah. So I don't know, I got there and they didn't have like floating desks. They said, like, maybe you can stay in the kitchen. I was like, okay. I was like sitting now in the kitchen and... I don't know, I felt awkward, sure. um, so I thought, okay, I maybe I could put a little bit more time 
into like creating relationships here and like meeting people, but I didn't feel like it. So that one didn't work well. Then I returned and I thought, okay, maybe it's not for me. Then I started like uh, trying out other co-working spaces and I tried uh, the Now Beato one with the one that, with the crazy vibe, which was cooler. And there's more indie hackers. There's so, like, now I'm in this desk with other people. So I thought, okay, this, this could be something interesting. And then the, the other one that I told you also, it's called Idea Space. Yeah. So definitely I can see myself doing all of these connections and like being energized by just being around these people. And mostly if I now start getting a little bit more money, this is something that I would like to do. Sure. My ideal scenario would be like to have a bunch of indie hacker friends mm. here in the city yeah. that we could like always agree to maybe twice, thrice a week, go to this place and work together and then have a beer and then chat and have like this kind of social life as well around the work. Because, like, I'm, I'm working a lot, right? Like, yeah. I, I need the time also to focus. But I also need to just, like, grab a beer and chat a little bit. So yeah. that would be my, my ideal scenario. Plus the networking effect that you just said. Uh, mm. It seems really, really exciting. Yeah. I think um, of the co-working that I've done, uh, especially in Victoria, the co-working space that I'm in is not necessarily technically focused. There are a few tech companies but there's a lot of just individual consultants. There's a lot of creatives. Um, so there's a lot of non-technical people that are looking for help or just looking to have a beer, have a good time. So I wonder if it's, it might just be time invested. Like maybe you just have to be a familiar face and then uh, all of a sudden people feel comfortable speaking with you. Cause like I'm, I don't know that I would call myself an extrovert, but my wife is always saying like you, 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 you're making all these friends at the co-working space. <laughs> like we, like we, like I'm becoming our social life of just like the people yeah. I'm meeting. So I mean, as an extrovert, like you would kill at a co-working space because everybody, everybody does want to talk. Like right. everybody wants to talk about what's going on and what they're working on, and mm -hmm. especially if you're putting yourself in a position to go to a co-working space, you're you're kind of planting a flag. Like yeah. I'm interested in being with other people. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think uh, as 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 an extrovert, I think it's like I get energy by speaking with others. Um, it's not like super. I, but definitely, I would need some time to be there and start, you know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that will approach someone out of the blue and like, hey, what are you doing? So I would need like maybe to see the face and, and, and start doing that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's an inter interesting situation as well because I'm so comfortable at home. So I do go every day to the co-working space. I have to now uh, because I, well, especially right now, uh, since we've come to Europe, um, our Airbnbs are very different. Like, right. is it going to be comfortable to work in? I really can't sit at a couch and work or a sofa. It just, right. uh, yeah, just yeah. kills my back. So even most co-working spaces, like the chairs need to have a back. And like, if it was adjustable height, that would be amazing. But even that's asking a lot sometimes. Yeah. So I'm at co-working spaces pretty much every day. Um, that and I also love to, I like to separate um, my workspace from my, my chill space. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's probably a great idea uh, because I end up spending a lot of time working mm -hmm. and uh, because, yeah, I just come here like work during like the night and everything. So oh, wow. having this, uh, having this would definitely help. So um, definitely something that I, once I get a little bit more MRR, I'll start considering probably not doing every day, yeah. but maybe, yeah, twice a week, three times a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
would make sense. I mean, I know that you're running an, an online space, but would you ever consider starting an in-person meetup, trying to find other people? That that would be the goal. Like, I I wish that the community would grow to a point where you could find WB members anywhere. Sure. And we all kind of share the same values. That's I mean, that's what a community is about, right? Like yeah. People that share the same values. So you know anywhere you go, you'll find you'll find your friends. And and a lot of people in the community already met. I met already some people. And even there, like we have people from literally all, all around the world. So like sometimes people send me pictures like from Singapore, like, hey, I just met Max and then like there's two of them or like I just so flew cool. to Berlin and like met this member. So this is really, really amazing how like building something that really connects people. And even online, you see people like um, sending postcards to each other and like bonding across a bunch of uh, interesting things. Like it's mostly, of course, indie hacking, but even other hobbies. So, um, yeah, ideally the community would grow to a point where uh, we would also have like WB offices. And of course, it's already me speed thinking about like if this could be a grandiose kind of thing but yeah that would be a dream sure. for sure yeah yeah I, uh, it's i've spent a lot of time online but i think back to when i started the in-person meetup in montreal and like when i met mark and yeah i i'm i miss i i look i it's some of the funnest some of the funnest times yeah and then to build that community with people and like i, I see why you do it like it's so addicting yeah the more people you meet that have a good time and want to come back and say like oh when is the next one like there's nothing there's nothing more special than that and i mean at be honest, i don't know if if it wasn't for the community if i would still be be here i would probably have quit mm-hmm. before because it's so crucial to have people yeah. to share your experience with it it, it might be the thing it's momentum and bonding. Yeah, bonding and um, seeing what they are doing, seeing what works for them. You know, it saves me time. Yes. Because I just, okay, this didn't work, I won't, I won't do it. Or this worked, let's do it, you know. Yeah. Let's help each other. Uh, so definitely, it's, it, it's, been, it's been great. I'm solving my own problem as well. Totally. Yeah. I've been curious if you have, a, um, if you have an opinion on... Uh, expats in portugal yeah so i love the topic this is very interesting because so um one of the big reasons we're here is uh my wife's business partner uh married a guy from spain and they are they moved to portugal uh, in september like three or four weeks ago and they're trying to rent an apartment and everything so we've been chatting with them and they are keenly aware of this of, of their existence in the country of they're, are they driving up rents? Are they seeking a place to live? Is it making it harder for people who are from Lisbon to live here? Um, how are they screwing with the economy? How are they changing the everyday lives of the people who already live here? So I've been curious. Have So um, you said you were living in Germany. Um, how long were you there? And when did you come back to Lisbon? Have you, uh, did you Are you born and raised in Lisbon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's a fascinating topic. I love this topic. I so left uh, in two thousand fifteen okay. to go to Germany, and then returned uh, one year ago, okay. precisely. Okay, like, it was roughly precisely one year ago. So for six years I was in Germany, and um, so much has changed mm-hmm. in Portugal and in Lisbon specifically. Mm-hmm. So much. So. 
mainly because when I left, I guess not a lot of low costs were flying still to Portugal. There was not a lot of connections. So then like Ryanair started flying here and like Eurowings and suddenly Portugal became a very accessible place. And in Europe, it's like you're still in Europe, you still have all the perks of being in Europe. But like the weather is quite nice yeah. in comparison like with Germany, for instance, and most Central Europe. So a lot of people just like start coming here and travel. So I, I always remember like being in Germany, a lot of my friends like, yeah, I just been to Porto for the weekend. I just been to Lisbon. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, really cool. Interesting. And then I, I'm like, I'm, I'm in Germany and I'm meeting all of these people and expats and w- living the expat life is so much different than living the local life, right? Yeah. And I, I've noticed that now, right? I, I'm more like a local. I try to hang out as well with like my friends because a lot of them now also come here or live here or like come here for a couple of months. Yeah. So I see what they do and they're like, interesting, you do this. I, I don't, that's not how I experience the city. Uh, and then you had this, the Web Summit, this conference um, yeah. that I'm going as well in next week. Which also started bringing a lot of attention of companies. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, wait, people there, they don't get that much money. The salaries are quite low, you know? So it's kind of the India of Europe. <laughs> we can just go there. It's, it's true. Like, it's funny because a lot of people also do like the sustainable fashion. They say like sustainable fashion. That means that it was made in Portugal. Oh. Where the wages are also really bad. <laughs> like made in Portugal is really sustainable. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, people start like, okay, we can bring people there. We can start opening offices there. Things are cheaper. Um, and then at the same time, our government started to bring a lot of perks to digital nomads. And like, you have less taxes and everything. So then a lot of expats and remote work, especially after COVID, started also coming to Portugal and living here. You know, like Peter Levels is a great example. Yeah. He was like digital um, nomad and nom- nomad- nomadic. For a long time, then he he found Portugal. And it's like, yeah, this is a great place to like at least to be here like half a year or something, and he even like created a service to bring more people. Yeah. So uh, suddenly we have this influx of people that are making great money, and and they start saying, yeah, Portugal is cheap. And then for me and for my friends, well, I was in in Germany, so from I had a different status. For most of my friends, though, they were like, no. It's not like Portugal is not cheap and it's actually not that different like from from Germany and the rents are not that different. But of course, if you have a salary from Germany or salary from Canada or salary from America, uh, US or something. Yeah, it's quite cheap. So, yeah, we're reaching to this point where the rents are super high. Yeah. And there's something which is unbelievable, which is even if you work full time, you might not have enough money to get a house to rent or to buy whatever this scares me this this really scares me as somebody who wants to come for a month and experience portugal i i don't want to i don't want to hurt anybody like this is this is really scary yeah but at the same time in the other on the other side i love it because finally we are getting like different people here like with different mindsets and they are bringing like this innovation and new mentalities to Portugal, something that we were really missing, you know? So it's so exciting now. I love this thing, going out and like hearing like different languages and hearing people speaking English. And because I was an expat as well in the, in the country where I didn't like fully understand a little fully, like I mostly didn't understand the language. <laughs> so it, it's, I really like to feel other, that the others feel comfortable here and then we can speak the language. So when I see 
people like now there's a lot of people also from like india bangladesh nepal uh, maybe doing this like i don't know, uber jobs and this kind of stuff but i love it because they they love coming here and i speak with them it's like cool i mean it's so great to have different different people here in portugal we really need it we also have like a problem with population everyone is getting older and that's also being somehow fixed uh, so you have like both sides you know what i mean sure yeah, I think the my main concern is, uh, yeah, I don't want to, it scares me to price people out of rent because, so in Canada, we're going through this right now. Uh, we're in an intense housing crisis in Canada. Um, rents are going up. Uh, I mean, you know, forget buying, like that's just like totally off the table. Like I was a developer making fantastic money and I look at the mortgage you can get and it's terrifying. Like who wants to spend a million dollars on a, on a home with like, yeah. like it, Oh God, it, ugh, it did like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, so I, I look at our housing situation and I do not want to inflict that on anyone else, but I see what you mean of, you know, not, there is no panacea for, for anything. Everything has trade-offs. Yeah. I don't think it's a problem that the expats, should worry about though i think it should be like probably the government uh i don't know th there should be a solution for that but i don't think it should be an expat problem right uh i mean for you if you could pay cheaper for rent you do it right like yeah. just uh yeah like the thing is like the market just evolves to that and say like okay people yeah. are willing to pay more let's let's get it and now we are in the situation where everyone wants to rent uh it's really shitty because like unless you have a partner to share your house with yeah. mostly in Portugal, you cannot get a house. So a lot of people in their 30s are living with their parents, yeah. you know, uh, which is makes no sense. You know, you, you need to to get your space. You need to, to, to do all of that. I'm also very curious uh, in Europe to know your opinion about like this digital nomad lifestyle and and the remote work and people like if, even if they are no, not nomadic, they like living more outside of the big cities because it's possible. Yeah. Um, do you think this will continue? Uh, how do you see the future of, of work in, in the next five to 10 years? I think that as more things move online, people just want that flexibility. They want the flexibility to live life the way that they want. Mm -hmm. On the west coast of Canada, so I was on Vancouver Island in Victoria, and there is a lot of van lifers there. People have converted sprinter vans or whatever, or just living out of their cars by choice. Um, and they are loving their life. It's a very temperate place, so it never really gets very cold. So it's a perfect place to do this. And they, you know, they just use Starlink or whatever, or, or they tether to their phones and they want to work in nature. Yeah. They just want to go and live around. And I look at that and think like, that is incredible freedom. To just like grab life by the horns and just say no i just want to live yeah. where i want to live yeah. and you know they come back to the city and they take a shower and maybe they stay at a airbnb for a few days freshen up and then head out again but i look at that and think like i wonder if that's going to happen for the rest of the world mm -hmm. like i mean certainly as long as there's arbitrage it will continue to exist mm -hmm. i mean like We've seen what's happened with Bali. Like now Bali is no longer as cheap as it was. It's yeah. now astronomical. It's cheaper to live in Singapore than it is yeah, to live yeah, in yeah. Bali. Um, so I think as long as, as long as arbitrage continues to exist, there will be people who want to exploit it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it makes sense. Like I, I think in Canada, this is a conversation I've been having in Canada for a while of 
you know, in our, what are the opportunities that our generation has? Our parents didn't know it, but their opportunity was real estate. Turns out you can invest in a home and now it's worth potentially millions of dollars, which is great because your investment paid off. But now for somebody who can't get into the market, uh, how do we find, what's the next opportunity for us? And it's starting to feel like maybe that is living in a low cost place, Mm -hmm. taking your high salary, living in a low cost place and just banking way more and just living that life, waiting until you become financially independent. My my issue with that is, and also a little bit with um, being a digital nomad, and you've been been doing that only since uh, June, so it's still not a lot of time. But how do you manage friendships? Because for me, uh, again, like as as an extrovert, there's two there's the people that I like my work friends and people that like I get the energy from just by chatting, but they're not really my friends. Okay. And then. I mean, they are my friend, but they're like yeah. big friends, you know, like, yeah. whereas for me, I describe friendship, a true friendship as like a, a person that I just wouldn't mind just hanging out with. Like we have nothing to do and no plans, just like drinking a beer, chilling, and we just enjoy each other's company, right? Like, and this kind of friendship takes time, you know? So in my ideally like social scenario, I would have all my good friends or a bunch of my good friends living at like a walking distance of me. Yeah. And we could just like hang out and the, like there's no need for big plans or whatever. When you're like constantly flying around, like one month here, one month there, how do you manage that? Uh, I manage it not well. I would say that um, I've continued the Zoom life of having, you know, during COVID, we all did the, oh, let's have Zoom beer. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> I still do that with a lot of my friends. Um, they have kids. So even if we were to go visit them, you know, they're on a timetable, they need to go to a place and take care of the kid. Like their kids are their hobbies right now, yeah. or they're, you know, they're, they're at that age where <laughs> the kids are their hobbies. So those types of friendships I have to maintain over zoom. Right. Like maybe they were living in, you know, other cities or that sort of thing. But a lot, I think for me, it's like, even if we did live in the same city, they're on their own timetable. Mm-hmm. So to be able to go by and have a beer is disruptive for them just where they are in their lives so i've been able to cultivate that over or continue to cultivate that over zoom but it's yes definitely not the same as oh it's saturday afternoon like let's just i don't know have a barbecue or something like that yeah so i don't know I, i don't have a great answer i think uh i think i long for something like that so i put a lot of energy into try to cultivating it wherever i go uh and the nice thing is people are always looking to hang out and they're always looking for friends Especially, I mean, I was definitely noticing this on the West Coast. One of the big, uh, because there's so much, uh, nature is a big part of life on the West Coast of Canada. Doing a lot of hikes, getting outdoors is a big draw of living there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very common to be like, oh, hey, we're going to do, it's uh, Monday after work. It's uh, especially in the summer when it's light for so long. Oh, we're going to pop up to Mount Work and we were going to just hike it and come back. And you're like, okay, sure. So like these kind of impromptu hikes. So there definitely tends to be a lot of, oh, well, what are you doing on Saturday? And like Saturday is the big day to say like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do a hike. Yeah. So in order to, I don't know, like it, it, there's lots of opportunities there to like join into somebody's posse and then like, I don't know, do an activity together. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you, you just need to make sure you connect with this, with these people uh, yeah. that are living a similar lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And I, 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 it's interesting also what you mentioned about Zoom. I think that 
more and more we are living in this kind of metaverse, you know? Uh, yes, we are. Where, I mean, my life is my laptop, right? Like, I wake up and I open my my phone, then I go to my laptop, then I watch Netflix. Uh, I Yeah, I meet a lot of people on the laptop and everything. So even though I'm not, like, immersed in it, it's somehow already happening, yes. right? We are already living online. Mm. Um, is this going to be the future? More and more that, like, uh, people will get their VR sets and, like, hang out with people across the world? I mean, the technology is going to have to get a lot better because I can't put VR goggles on without getting sick. Mm-hmm. Every time I put them on, I get so sick. Oh, man. But it's a good question. I mean, let's say that it did work. What do we do? I mean, I think it just depends on what you want. Yeah. I think that for me, a touch barrier is really important. Or not barrier, but breaking a touch barrier, I guess I should say. Physical contact is, I don't know if you've ever read that like funny book of like the five languages of love. But, oh, it's it's just a, it's kind of a silly book, but it's, it, yeah, it, it's, I don't know if it's like pseudo-psychology or anything. About like being like a visual person, auditive person. Kind of. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, what are the things that you want out of a relationship? Right. So there, let's see if I can remember them. Uh, there are words of affirmation. Right. You're doing great. Yeah. Uh, physical touch, yeah. quality time, uh, acts of service and gifts of affection or, or gifts, something like that. And we all kind of have one or two that we want. Yeah. And then there's the one or two that we give. So for me, I'm a big physical touch person. Right. I want it in all my relationships. So um, I definitely find that uh, I get along very well with like Latin American people, for example, right. because we're very touchy and, and huggy. Yeah. So it's something I really like. So I tend to gravitate towards people like that. And, and that's something that I would need in the... I would need in this metaverse to That's feel, something to feel missing complete. from Zoom now. Yeah. yeah. You, you know that, that. <laughs> I need a hug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you cannot have hugs. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I don't know. It seems that we are still a little bit far away from that, but you never know. You never know. So what are your, your like next steps, right? So you freelancing a lot, you, but you want to like do your own thing as well. Yeah. Uh, what what are your plans? How you want to accomplish that in the next year or so? Yeah, that's a that's a powerful, powerful question that I've been asking myself a lot lately. Um, so like, you know, I'm very open about this, but like, you know, I go to therapy weekly because this is this is really hard. Like I, I want I have dreams for myself and I want to accomplish them. And I get in my own way. I'm very good at self-sabotaging myself. So what I've learned my, you know, most of my growth over the last probably two years has been learning to meditate and learning to, um, you know, hear the things that my body is telling me, hear the things that are going on in my mind and talking myself down, uh, talking myself down from the ledge of the, the things that the, my, my irrational body is telling me. Mm. So where do I want to go? Well, I want to, I would love to start a product. And I think even to, to take it back from that, I want, what I really want is to, I really want to find people that are fun, that, that I can serve, that can derive value from the work that I do, whether it's a product or a service or whatever, and engage in a, in that trade and be paid for that work. Like I get it a little bit with freelancing, um, of, 
I have a skill that people really love and they are willing to pay me for it, but I want to do it on a grander scale. I want to help more people. And right now with freelancing, I'm kind of helping just one client at a time. And that's fun, but it's not taking me closer to my goal. So uh, right now I've been, you know, the discussion I was having with my therapist today was this question of boundaries, being able to work three hours a day versus four. Yeah. Or, you know, on three hours on your stuff and three hours on someone else's. And I've worked really, really hard over the last year to try to build that boundary up to be able to, to work half and half because it's scary to try to, to say, well, I'm going to quit my income and have no income and try to work on a SaaS. And I mean, you know, that like, for example, the SaaS ramp, the ramp of death is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a long time to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out like, well, I don't want to just be on a slow ramp, you know, the, the ramp of death forever. I would rather have that, you know, side income, but I'm only now coming to grips with the fact that I don't think I can do it. I don't, you know, this experiment has failed. <laughs> I, I, I'm not making the progress that I want to make. I'm, I'm making good money and it's, it's nice to be able to distract yourself for a while with client work. But the reality is it's like, you know, I, I have like a freelancing hangover. You know, I, it was fun yesterday, but now I'm paying the price of I'm not getting any closer to the, to the dream that I have. So you don't feel fulfilled, fully fulfilled with, with the current work? I feel like I'm not giving myself a shot. I'm not, I, I left a very well-paying job where I was really respected because I had a dream. And I'm, I'm not following through on that. I, I could have stayed at that job. And I'm trying not to like, you know, I'm not trying to sound too judgmental about it because I've really been trying to, to ride this line between two things. Mm. But man, the number of people I've spoken to who are like, oh yeah, I actually couldn't do it. I, you know, I did a sprint, I made some money and then I quit and did my own thing. And then I just, and they just go back and forth mm. because they're like, I can't, I can't do both at the same time. Yeah. And, and like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just finally ready to admit to myself that I can't. I, I have to I have to maintain focus. So I think probably my next steps are figuring out like what are my financial like you know I've re, I you know I do a lot of budgeting and I pay very close attention to my runway and everything. So figuring out what the next few months look like. Uh, turns out digital nomading not cheap. <laughs> if if you're staying in Airbnb, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, because yeah, you're paying a premium for the furnished uh, yeah. places. So unless you're going to live in cheaper places, it turns out to be a little more expensive. You need to go to Asia, I guess. It, man, this is it. We uh, we have a dog. My wife and I have a dog, so that is very tricky because getting a dog to Asia is not super simple. Did you bring it here? Uh, so we didn't bring her this time, but our plan is. Uh, so the plan right now is uh, Portugal just opened up a new visa. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to come back in. The plan cool. is to come back in January for like six months and we'll bring the dog with us. Oh, man, I love it. That, see, that's the great thing about living. Like there's so many in the hangar now. You know, we can, we can do a meetup. Yeah. We can do another meetup. Let's go, That'd baby. be amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, I, I, first of all, I think like definitely uh, having support like going to therapy and like meditation as well that's like that's like really game changer i should do it more often but every time i'm starting to feel like really overwhelmed mm-hmm. like stressed and anxious like meditation always helps always helps to like okay. do this a little bit and relax and uh i don't know like 
appreciate the things that I've done as well, mm. you know, so being present and appreciate what I've achieved. And um, I, I can only recommend going also full time yeah. because it gave me the opportunity to really take my project serious. Like now I think, yeah, I'm, I'm in the hacker, you know, like before I was a guy with a lot of hobbies, yeah. you know, or a lot of side projects. Uh, and now I'm like people, like everyone around me, like say, okay, that's that's what he's doing. In the beginning, it was hard to admit, like, yeah, I would say, ah, yeah, I'm like I'm a software developer taking some time off. No, like, no, I'm an entrepreneur. Yes. You know, that's what I am. I, I, I might not be making a lot of money, but that's what I am, you know? Yes. Um, and now, even if I work for others just to make money, I'm still an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, that, that's my passion, and that's how I feel fulfilled and everything. That's so good, man. With that said, it's extremely stressful at times. Like it's really like stressful, not knowing how to make money, you know, like what can I do to make it better? Uh, I see people around me uh, doing a lot, a lot of money. I see also a lot of, much more people not doing less, but we don't see them at that, that often, right? We only see the ones making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's at times it's really stressful. And then it's like, uh, there's times where it's better and times that gets worse. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the roller coaster situation, definitely. And everything you see on, on, on Twitter, that's for sure. Like you, you get a new Stripe notification, bam, I'm the best. It's been a week without any new clients. Well, I'm the worst. So it's, it's been like that. And definitely one thing that is really hard, but I've, I've get this from a lot of people I interview, focus on the metrics you can control. Mm -hmm. So focus on learning. Like, I want to learn new things. I want to learn SEO, whatever. Uh, this is something I can't control. Um, work X hours per, per day or whatever. Like, things that you can control. If you focus too much on, on the money, if you focus too much on the followers on Twitter, whatever, things that you do not control, uh, you will end up frustrated. This is a very subtle thing that, like, I feel like I have to relearn over and over again. Focusing on the things that you can control. Like, you, yeah. you, we can't control outcomes. All you can do is control your level of input. Yeah. And it hurts. When it doesn't work, it yeah. fucking hurts. And realizing, like, okay, well, maybe there's something to learn here, or maybe there isn't. Maybe it's not worth spending your time trying to figure out why it didn't work mm -hmm. and just move on to the next thing. It's, it hurts. Yeah. But, I mean, the nice thing is that the past is not necessarily a predictor of the future. Yeah. You just, you just have to keep taking swings. And, and that's also, by the way, something that I've realized a lot of these people that have a lot of success have failed a lot, like a lot. Yeah. And they make a lot of products. Mm. Uh, even now I was checking, like Tony didn't share that, like in the, in the past like year or so, he, he built like 10 products yeah. only, and, and two of them are making great money because he's a great builder and marketer and everything. Mm. But he still built 10 products. Yeah. You know, how many have you built? Like, I've built like three or four and uh, not even. And yeah. so definitely it's like doing a lot and uh, failing a lot, accepting that's the life. That's how what indie maker, being an indie maker is. Yeah. Um, some people are lucky and they're able to do it, achieve it faster. Uh, but yeah, in, in the end, it's also like, it's a stamina. It's not, it's, it's like a marathon, not a, not a sprint, right? Like yeah, totally. make sure that, uh, even though it's super hard and I, I'm not doing a great job at it, 
make sure to uh, have like a healthy balance and, and you, you also do the things you, you love and uh, you have some time off and everything that's, that's really important mm-hmm. uh, because you, this, you need to take it for, for a long way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that uh, really killed me over the pandemic was uh, my hobby is physical fitness. I love moving my body and acquiring new skills. It's a lot of fun. And then when, pandemic happened. I mean, Montreal was terrible. Our lockdowns were awful. Um, I couldn't get to the gym for like more than 18 months. So all, a lot of the skills that I'd cultivated and just like my conditioning was off. And I really like being in a gym. So working, I can't think of a bigger punishment than working out at home. It's like, it's, it's horrific, but like now that I'm back and I can move my body again in, in the atmosphere that I want, it just reminds me what working at a hundred percent capacity looks like and then it's like when you get down to like 80 percent you think like oh man like i i'm not giving it my all today or or something's missing and then yeah when you get up to that 100 percent, you think i well i do i think i can do anything i can conquer anything yeah yeah, yeah. i totally agree yeah for me the same Mm -hmm. going back to doing sports also like was a game changer for me oh it's so nice yeah to be more healthy mentally as well uh, mm-hmm. and and also like don't feel like i'm always sitting down so it's just yeah. <laughs> going out and doing something high intensity or i think it's 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 uh definitely great that's so nice uh, i think people uh will have a lot to listen to we yeah. spoke about a lot of topics but uh, yeah really really interesting thank you so much for coming i'm super excited that you're coming here uh for six months that's the plan in, in the yeah. next year so that that'll be really cool yeah. for sure uh maybe it's the time that i'll go to a co-working space mm. and we can uh, you know start creating our little indie hackers group there yeah let's take cool. over i mean it yeah you start laughing and people are like oh it's so funny over there i have a bug i lost my <laughs> i lost another client yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to the pub yeah it's good <laughs> anyways you have a podcast, right? I have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, our podcast is Startup to Something. So you All can right. catch us at uh, startuptosomething.com. Uh, it's hosted by me and my very good friend, Mark LG. What does LG stand for? Uh, Levin Gagnon. Uh, so Mark is, uh, has a French name. It's Mac. Uh, so uh, Mark runs powerimporter.com, a syncing tool between uh, a no-code tool to sync between Airtable and Webflow. It's a killer product. It's awesome. Mark is an, is an incredible product designer and he's built something really great. Um, I am on Twitter. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have anything to promote other than the podcast. Where, where's but the, well, everything will be in the, in the, in the show notes, notes anyways. Yeah. But yeah, you can catch me on Twitter at MD Gale. I tweet a lot about feelings. Uh, I like, I like that. I like when people, I like to validate other people's feelings. It's something we don't talk about often enough. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really open about, therapy and mental health and that's, everything that's that goes great. into that yeah. Yeah. it's really important also in the, to speak about that in the, i tried to interview a few people also around that topic in the podcast but i don't mm. think it's talked enough so a mm. lot of people suffer in silence so yeah that's great yeah. to have more people like uh like you doing that like doing the showing that face as well in, mm. the, in the building public space yeah. Again, now for real. Thank yeah, for you real. so much. Boom. Cheers, man. Good Cheers. to have you. And this was my conversation with Matt. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about what this podcast is about, make sure to check out the previous episodes. I've been narrating my indie journey for one year and a half now, and I've interviewed more than 60 different indie makers. I've learned a lot from them, and I'm sure you will too. 
If you want to sponsor this podcast and get your indie product in the ears of all the indie makers out there, make sure to check out the show notes. I have a link for you and we can definitely make that happen. Besides that, you can become a member of the Wannabe Space, a community only for indie makers. It's more cozy, more supportive than Twitter and the other public communities. So make sure to check that out. And besides that, you can get the Wannabe Entrepreneur merch or check me out on Twitter at WBETiago. I am looking forward to hearing from you. This was another Wannabe Entrepreneur. See you next time.